This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put an inch on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge. We're going to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, relationships, intimacy, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. Ooh. Hmm. Can't help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up. You're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we dive in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content in Nam, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. <laughs> oh my god, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. It's my podcast. I'm leaving it in. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hey, all you labial ledge hammers. Welcome back to the lounge. I've got another red hot epi for you today. The focus is going to be on supporting men to be epic lovers. So I've got Taylor Johnson with me, who's a sexologist and sex coach for men who helps them create and experience the best sex lives possible. And he's a real wealth of knowledge and experience in these realms. Um, So whether you are a man yourself or, you know, any other gender listening, especially if you're someone who has sex with men, there'll be a lot of value in this episode that you can take away regardless of whether you think it directly applies to you. So don't let the like, you know, men's sex coach part deter you um i know i've got a lot of lot of female listeners so we're going to be chatting about the most important things you need to know to be an amazing lover conscious ejaculation and semen retention practices and their benefits and potential pitfalls the impact of porn use on relationships and the importance of self-pleasure and how this can help you be better in the sack welcome taylor how does that all sound that all sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. I actually really appreciate the way you have all that laid out with such clarity. That yeah, makes me even more excited about this conversation. And I love how you say labia. Did you did I hear you correctly saying labia, labia ledgehammers? Is that what you said? Is Labial that- ledgehammers. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is my slang for legends. Nice. Very uh, very uh Aussie bogan up in here. Awesome. <laughs> I can't help yeah. myself. Well, that's great. And I'm really happy to be here for anybody listening. Even if you don't have sex with men, but you have friends with men, some of this will help you understand the things that they deal with in life. So Mm. yeah, I'm really excited to get into it because I think the world needs many more conversations around what an actual healthy, integrated male sexuality could look like. Mm. Mm. Preach. Yep. Absolutely. Good, good point. Doesn't even, I mean, I always learn so much from all sorts of books and resources on all genders. And it's like, you know, if you're a human and you have human friends and they're in human relationships, all of this stuff's really valuable. And I find also like a lot of parents kind of go, oh, thank goodness I learned about this because, you know, now my kid's becoming a teenager and it's really useful for me to be able to traverse those topics with them. So, stick around, listen to this episode. It's going to be jam-packed, I can already tell. Um 
So I guess, how about we get started with you giving us a little bit of background on how you came to be doing this work and what makes you so passionate about it? (sighs) Yeah. How did I get here? The short version is that I used to personally really struggle with sex. I was the guy that would ejaculate in 10 seconds or 30 seconds on a regular basis. I was addicted to pornography. I was really sexually anxious. I went through a period of avoiding women completely because I was afraid of the Mm -hmm. possibility of eventually being sexual with them and then being the guy that would ejaculate too early. And I was a total sexual mess when I was younger. Yeah. And I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any good positive role models. Like movies didn't help. Like TV shows didn't help. The the Playboy magazines Mm -hmm. that I found at that time, which were the main source of pornography when I was a young teen, (laughs) because I'm 38 (laughs) years old now, those didn't help. And so I was really Mm -hmm. kind of isolated in that realm. And I went on a deep dive to study as much as I possibly could and spent a ton of money in the process, went to all kinds of trainings, read all kinds of books, practiced all kinds of things that most people probably don't need to practice. (laughs) Some pretty wild things. And then yeah, long yeah, long story short, started to experience benefits in my sex life. And then the interesting part is I started to see how that translated over into my professional world. That was really interesting. And I started to make more money. I started to be more confident. I started to just feel more zestful and alive in general. And I realized, wow, there's a reason different traditions have written about this for generation after generation after generation. Like there's a reason men should really take a closer look at their sexual choices and and pay attention to how they actually impact their entire lives because the impact is massive. And I think most of us just aren't aware how big that impact actually can be. And so there was a certain point in my previous career where I realized all the books on my bookshelf were about either sex or energy or presence or relationship or communication or something like that. And none of it was about my previous career. And I realized, you know what? I should at least make a blog. And some of my friends said, you should make a blog, start writing stuff. It was a horrible blog, but that progressed and progressed to a somewhat okay Instagram account that progressed and progressed into here I am today. I've taken a lot more trainings. I've invested in actually being able to hold space for people. And I want to be the guy that can be there for other guys in a way that I never had somebody like that when I was younger. Amazing. It sounds very similar to my sort of reasons for getting into this work as well. And like that journey of like working on your own shit, becoming a personal development junkie, going super hard into like some pretty like extreme versions of like different practices and this and that. And then kind of finding, finding where you sit comfortably with it. Um, and realizing what a huge impact it, it has, you know, on your life and those around you and, just the potential there. So that's that's exactly why I do this work as well. It's just it's really powerful and it's really fucking life-changing and um I think yeah, you're right. A lot of people don't realize just how much of an impact it's having um yeah. and what a big difference it would make to to sort of work on it because we kind of relegate everything to do with like sex and and mm-hmm. and body functions to this little corner you know, that doesn't get any light and we try not to look at it and we just try to get on with things. Um, But it's so, yeah, so such a game changer when we actually do do something about that, which, yeah, which took me a few few years and a lot of courage, but 
Look at us now, Taylor. <laughs> hey, no personal problems at all. Everything's perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's obviously oh, yeah. a joke, just in case anyone's <laughs> totally. listening. Yeah, obviously a joke. But totally, I will say totally. my sex my sex life is amazing. I'm happy to say that. Yeah. And I feel very pleased about that. <laughs> totally. Same. Yeah. The rest of and, my life, absolute shit show right now. But you know, I've got this I've got the love making on lock, so <laughs> Oh sweet. Sweet. Well, happy to hear that. Hopefully the shit show turns into a, a better show <laughs> eventually. Totally. You know, one, one interesting piece about it is like with, for some reason in modern society, we have this idea that sex is something that we should all just inherently be good at. I don't really know exactly mm-hmm. where that comes from, but we don't grow up with, and there aren't societal stories that say, Hey, you might want to practice this. You know, yeah. and if you think about any other skill that's out there, learning the guitar, uh, taking kung fu lessons, like painting, you know, like anything out there, nobody expects to just inherently be good at that thing. You know, like you could do the basics totally. of it, but it takes time to practice that skill. And yes, mm-hmm. we could all probably do the basics of sex. You put the thing in the thing and move the thing like that, right? But to actually become skilled with it in a way that mm-hmm. you can make art with mm-hmm. sex and lovemaking, like that. That takes some effort and I think it's totally worth it. And yeah, maybe we yeah. should go into some of the specifics about that. But yeah. I just wanted to yeah. say that piece. <laughs> oh, totally. So important. It's yeah, it's such a uh, like pleasure and and sexual mastery, total learnt skill. Like sure, sex is natural, but yeah, we're not we can't be expecting to just be total pros um without practicing. So just like everything yeah. else. In terms of the main challenges that men come to you to work with you on, what are some Mm -hmm. of the most common ones? And like, we'll get into, yeah, I mean, everything I kind of outlined from the top soon, but I'd love to just get some context for like some of the main issues that people come to you for help with. Totally. Excuse me. So just on a meta broad level, I really position myself as in in the world of of sex education as somebody who can help guys overcome premature ejaculation who can overcome mm-hmm. sexual anxiety and who can overcome erectile dysfunction and those are a lot of the main access points that guys come to me from they're like oh i feel really shitty about my sex life or my relationship is struggling because i can't get this one piece uh fixed or maybe they're struggling with porn addiction and they just want to sort it out because their relationship is on the rocks or they can't feel you know, they don't feel like they can get a partner. And it's usually, it's not just the issue itself, but it's the ramifications of the issue on their life Mm -hmm. at large or their Mm -hmm. relationship. And so, yeah, they come in for a lot of those reasons. Another reason a lot of guys come to me is because I'm kind of well known on the internet for talking about semen retention. And (laughs) when some people hear that word, they're like, oh, you mean guys should never ejaculate? And my response to that is no, they should ejaculate. There are some people who take things to extremes out there, but I also believe that there's a certain frequency of ejaculations that is ideal for men. And it's dependent on their age, it's dependent on their lifestyle and all kinds of things. And only that man can figure it out for himself. And once you figure that out, it can improve your entire life, and including your sex life and your relationship. So I have a lot of material out there around that too. And guys come to me when they want to you know, optimize their relationship or their business even with that kind of practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. And we'll we'll dig into that a little bit more deeper into the episode. I'd love to get an overview of your thoughts on like what what's holding men back from being 
epic lovers in the bedroom, like maybe outline some of the main areas of focus that um, you teach because I imagine they will present with like, you know, um, things like premature ejaculation, you know, these kind of mm-hmm. physical uh, challenges or manifestations of like a deeper underlying perhaps, you know, um, psychological stuff or anxiety, performance anxiety or, totally. I mean, it's always so layered. So underneath those like main things that people come to you for, what do you find to be the areas that, you know, people really need some support with that that will help them be better lovers? Totally. That's a great question. And <clears throat> three main pieces come up immediately mm-hmm. in my mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if you hear me sniffling in this episode, it's because I'm recovering from a sinus infection. <laughs> Just a little meta piece of information. <laughs> so number one is porn use. I think porn use is the source of a lot of sexual challenges for men and a lot of sexual challenges in relationship. Number two is unconscious masturbation habits. And number three is difficulty communicating, expressing, and feeling emotions and challenging topics. And we can go into all those, but I'll say like most people don't think about number three. They don't, they don't ever consider that until they exhaust all the other options. And then we're like, Hey, by the way, what do you, you know, what's it like to talk about your feelings with your partner and people freeze, <laughs> you know, so we can dive into that. Um, but, but I can start with whichever one you find most interesting first. Where would yeah. you like to go? Well, let's dive into that one. Let's like, yeah, let's just go straight into that one. Cause I feel like that's also, yeah, the, the unsung hero, like that's so important. And that's something mm-hmm. I find myself coaching people on a lot. Um, I think it's something everyone struggles with, but I do think that men have an added layer of, you know, patriarchal pressure to be more, you know, uh, immune to emotions. So I imagine it's even, even more difficult to crack, crack that egg. So do you want to just, yeah, spill off some stuff about that? Yeah. And also I'll preface this by saying I'm a work in progress in this realm as well, but I am working on it. I've done a lot of work around it and I think it's fascinating and I think more people mm-hmm. should talk about it. So here we are talking about it. Yeah. To, to preface it by setting the stage a little bit to say that in modern society, men like myself, like we've received an incredible amount of pressure from society that we should not show emotions. Like this starts as a little kid, you know, don't cry, man up, be strong. Don't, you know, don't show weakness And in middle school and high school. I don't know if it's the same where you are, um, but those are our, you know, terminologies. And in college, it's like, oh, you better not cry. You better fucking man up. You like fight, punch somebody, like don't complain, Mm -hmm. all this stuff, like Mm -hmm. stuff it down, stuff it down, stuff it down. And even in modern society, or, you know, when you get older, like all the movies, all the examples we have of men show men as being like these really stoic guys that will, mm. you know, go off into battle and like shoot people like, like James Bond and blow shit up and then have really amazing 30 second sexual experiences yeah. with people, <laughs> you know? And so totally the, the programming, like it brings up the fear sometimes. Like I can think about myself when my partner in the past has asked me, like, what are you feeling about this? And if it's a charged topic, sometimes it can send me either into a freeze response or into a fight or flight response because there's this part of me that's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, this is dangerous, you know, because growing up, 
showing my emotions meant that I would be like kicked out or ostracized or like anything mm. like that. So there's all this backstory that's there. And that's not to say that we should be necessarily walking on eggshells all the time, but it's useful to have understanding and compassion for the playing mm. field that we're in. Totally. You know? yeah. And talking about gendered uh, dynamics for a second, a lot of women like yourself probably got the opposite programming or at least very different programming. Like it's very acceptable to show emotions or much more acceptable. And not only that, but you're like generally uh, female networks of friendships operate around conversation of emotion, or at least can share that comfortably. And that's another thing that doesn't happen in men's spaces so much. So there's this like dynamic that can happen where if you're a female partner, you really want to feel the emotion from your man. So you kind of try to pull it out of him, but in the process, he kind of freezes. And I see you nodding. <laughs> like Most people have probably experienced this, you know, and yeah. it's not something you can fix, right? It's not something you can snap your fingers and fix, but it's something you can work on slowly. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite books on this topic is Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks. Uh, I believe that's the title and the author. And they go into like discovering some of what are some of the main reasons you might be feeling the way that you're feeling, relating it to your childhood and that sort of thing. Another great book is Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. That technique, studying that has fundamentally changed how I interact with my partner, my friends, and my families. And interestingly, to jump back to sex, it makes sex so much better. Because, yeah. you know, and if you're listening, you might be scratching your head or you might get it. But just to say another piece, like anytime I stuff my emotions down, anytime I like don't cry when I want to cry or like hold it in, I'm telling my system that, oh, emotional energetic movement is bad. Like stuff mm-hmm. it down. Well, when that mm-hmm. comes to sexual energy, the body doesn't really differentiate and it just goes on the program. Oh, I'm used to stuffing it down. So I shouldn't let it flow. I shouldn't let it freely express itself in my body. And therefore it kind of pulls down in the genitals and the penis and either contributes to genitally focused, orgasmically focused sex, or, it, you know, it, it supports premature ejaculation to happen because there's not mm. the ability to flow and actually be with the full bodied sensations of mm. things. Mm. So I'll pause there because I just spoke for a little bit. <laughs> Thanks. That's so uh so courteous and thoughtful of you as a podcast guest. Sometimes sometimes people can just go for like half an hour and I'm like, <laughs> I'm loving this, but I haven't got a word in. Um yeah, amazing. It's it's um something I've definitely noticed and there's always correlations, you know, like I can almost link everything back to sex and how it shows up in the bedroom, right? Like yeah. um Yeah, and if you're if you're stifling everything and shoving it all down and and not allowing things to flow there's the lack of like sexual energy flow and therefore pleasure there's more tension in the body and then i feel like there's i don't know maybe you can articulate this better and have uh, more like a, more of an explanation for it but i get the feeling that when we're kind of like locking all the emotion in our bodies and shoving it down um the premature ejaculation can kind of happen because we are just clinging on by the skin of our teeth. Like we're always just kind of holding it together, keeping composed. And I know for me, like in a, in an orgasmic state, altered state of consciousness, like everything's so much closer to the surface. I'm a lot more prone to bursting into tears and letting emotions flow because the veil's thinner in that space and everything's already so heightened and intensified that 
um, and it's heart opening for me is that I'll like often cry. And I feel like with men, like when things get too much in sex, if the pleasure's too intense, they hit that threshold and they mm. come. Or I imagine, you know, if they're used to like shoving emotions down and not allowing a certain level of intensity of experience or emotion or energetic flow in their body, like that they will also hit a threshold and then maybe ejaculating is like a way to just end that experience and just get the fuck out of there because they're not used to like dwelling in intense territory. Did I do an okay job of explaining that? (laughs) I mean, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And I'll just confirm from my own personal experience. There have been times in my past where I was having sex with a past partner and I did start to feel that emotional opening happen. And I did feel those tears wanting to come up in the lovemaking experience. But in unfortunately, in that moment in the past, I was like, fuck that. <laughs> I can't go there. That's terrifying. That's dangerous. You know, so I did ejaculate mm. because it made the sexual experience end. I was like, phew, yeah. good. Don't have to feel emotions safe. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. really, really yeah. interesting. And I mm. ultimately was missing out on some incredible beauty that is possible with emotionally open, heart open, vulnerably uh, connected sexual experiences where we can both cry. Mm. Like that's amazing. It's truly amazing. Mm. And ironically, or I don't know if ironically is the right word, but that sort of emotional openness is one of the things that allows guys to actually get into the state of non-ejaculatory orgasm and full body sort of cosmic spiritual orgasms, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's a prerequisite. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, before we get into the other sort of pillars, yeah, let's yeah. do this segment, Get Pregnant and Die. Do you have well, an I, anecdote about – yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just add, add, go for it. I yeah. just add one one more piece, like a, a practical thing that my partner and I do. My partner is a woman. Um, we've started – whenever we're having conversations around emotionally tricky type stuff, one of the things that she'll do is whenever she asks me something about my feelings – we now have the understanding that she'll give me more time to feel into it. It's pretty simple, but if you just give the guy a little bit more time, a lot of the times he'll eventually start to feel something. And that's actually been pretty remarkably impactful in our conversations. Mm. Just giving me, you know, like 30 seconds instead of 10 seconds sometimes. Mm. Like Mm. like the emotions are there and they want to come, but they're kind of hard to access sometimes because of all that blockage. So yeah. it's a little more spaciousness and permission to take my time to feel. Yeah. It's, it's way easier, way easier. Yeah. Yeah. Really good tip. Really great tip. I think like <laughs> women are quite adept at just, you know, laying it all out. And I mean, obviously not everyone, it's it's uncomfortable sometimes to communicate about certain things, especially around sex. But, um, you know, I'll often recommend my female clients um, who have in well, I recommend it to everyone, but in particular who have male partners that do struggle with this, you know, if they want to uh, chat about something that might be a little bit, um, you know, edgy or confronting, I'm like, don't be afraid to write it in a letter or a text and just mm. give them like the outline and be like, I'd love to talk to you about this in person, but I just wanted to give you like a bit of time to digest this and have your thoughts and then come to me when you're ready to talk about it. So it's not an ambush because mm-hmm. that's yeah. fucking overwhelming and that'll just turn people like, you know, people will be in the fight or flight or freeze. So totally. do you have any, um, like if you could, so I hate it when people ask me if you've got like one tip, but if you could choose like one <laughs> thing that the man can do and one thing that the partner of the man can do to help 
you know, that that communication about needs and desires and boundaries, like that piece flow a bit better? Like what's something that men can keep in mind and try to just immediately put into practice and what's something that a partner mm-hmm. can do to like help create a safe space for that? <sighs> yeah, it's a great question. My mind wants to go in a few different directions, but the main one yeah. that comes up now is like, you're a man, say you're a man, you receive some sort of communication that is emotionally stimulating in some way. A lot of the times, the initial reaction might be to push it away or to rationalize it or to to figure it out, right? Instead, just try taking a couple deep breaths with it and try just to do nothing other than to just receive it and see what happens in your body without reacting, without intellectualizing. Just take a couple deep breaths and really feel your partner. Really try to feel where they're coming from. They're probably not trying to hurt you, even though it might like feel that way initially, because that's certainly how it can feel. Like Try to feel into mm-hmm. the love that's actually there, and then try to respond from that place. And If you take three breaths, you can even say, hey, baby, thank you so much for telling me that. I just want to take a couple breaths to, to really let that digest in my system. Boom. Then it, it, it like changes the game pretty mm. substantially. Then you can respond with intentionality instead of mm. responsiveness. You know, and there's mm. that famous saying like freedom comes in the space between stimulus and response. And that's, that's so true in this context as well. Wow. Awesome. And as a partner, what's something that, you know, you found really helpful when your partner does? Um, I know you gave us an example that you've introduced recently, but is there something kind of universal that that people can keep in mind if they have a male partner and they want to just, you know, help things along with this stuff? Hey, baby babes. Sorry to interrupt. I just had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that I'd love you to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. There you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies, behind the scenes, or discounts for offerings from guests who have been interviewed on the podcast. There'll also be hopefully, inspiring, thought-provoking conversations and support from a community of labial legends like yourself. My vision for this is that it becomes a really supportive, educational and hilarious resource for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes or look up the Labial Lounge group in Facebook and I'll see you in there. And now back to the episode. Yeah. There, yeah, <laughs> so many things. I mean, the it's piece a big that topic, you, yeah. yeah, I mean, the piece that you said, I really resonate with, and I find it to be helpful, and I find it to be helpful for any gender talking to any gender, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah. hey, I love you. I would like to have a conversation about this topic at some point soon. Can we set a time to do so? Versus just mm. like boom, like mm. throwing it at somebody, you know, or even mm. if you don't throw it at somebody, it can feel that way. So giving a preface, yeah. asking for permission, saying, hey. Is it okay? Are you okay if we talk about this now, or would you rather do it later? Mm. Like something about that permission giving is is really, really magical. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, awesome, beautiful. All right. Well, do you have a get pregnant and die story for us? Don't have sex because you will get pregnant. And die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise. Can you can you tell me what that means to you? 
Uh, so I just ask all of my guests for an anecdote about their sex education, whether that was, you know, what they received in school or from their parents, but basically a story about your sex ed, maybe how it was supportive, maybe how it failed you, mm. um, anything that springs to mind. Ah, <laughs> that's the get pregnant and die thing. That's so funny because, <laughs> because that's, I mean, that's what I tell people I basically got from my sex education growing up in school. They said, well, if you have sex before marriage, either you're going to get AIDS or you're going to get a woman pregnant and then something bad will happen. You'll probably die. You know, like actually that was what we got. Wow. And it was t- wow. mind blowing. You know, I mean, I grew up in the Bible belt of the United States uh, in a public yeah. school. And so mm-hmm. it was quite conservative uh, when yeah. it, when it came wow. to sex, you know, the, <laughs> the next uh, best sex talk that I got which wasn't really a sex talk was when one day I was 16 and my stepdad came into the computer room where I was playing a computer game. And he said, Hey Taylor, um, I, uh, you know, um, I, uh, I just, I wanted to give you this and tell you that I got an operation so I wouldn't get your mother pregnant. Here you go. And then he said, okay, have fun. And he handed me a playboy and he walked away and I was like, what? (laughs) It's like, you were crossing way too many fucking wires here. Like, Sure, give me the Playboy talk about sex independently from talking about having sex with my mom, at least, you know. And getting a vasectomy? Uh, like, why is that relevant? <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's, it, you know, and, and oh. now I totally have com- compassion and I understand, like, bless you. So incredibly awkward to talk about as a man at that time. <laughs> like, holy shit, you know. Uh, yeah. But that's, <laughs> that's just one of those funny things that I look back on and I think like, wow, I had, I had no good examples of healthy sexuality. I had to yeah. discover discover them all, you know? Totally, totally, totally. And that's why we do what we do now, you know, so other people don't have to just sort of flop around blind. Um, yeah. um, all right, so let's <laughs> chat about conscious ejaculation and semen retention right. practices because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding and there's some really sort of extreme uh, ways of practicing this. I actually do have – uh, a podcast already on conscious ejaculation with a mm-hmm. guy called Miroslav Petrovic. So if anyone wants to like really go deep into conscious ejaculation and some other related stuff, you can listen to that. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on these approaches because like mm-hmm. obviously it can get really dogmatic with like the full kind of no fap community and um yeah, in some kind of neo-tantra communities, like the non-ejaculation thing can be taken super far and people are like very, very opinionated about it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of thoughts and I'm happy to go in a direction. And I'll also say like if there are certain areas that weren't covered as much in that other podcast, mm-hmm. I'd be happy to go into those specific areas too, just so it's not like we're talking about the same things. Um, are there specific cool, cool. areas or should I just go into it? Hmm. It was like two years ago now and I'm just okay. trying to remember what we covered, but maybe, uh, maybe actually I, I think it was more about conscious ejaculation, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on semen retention and how we can do that consciously and in a balanced way that's, you know, sustainable and healthy. Great. Awesome. Yeah. So to me, Conscious ejaculation and semen retention kind of go hand in hand under the umbrella mm-hmm. of men's sexual embodiment, like of a mm-hmm. powerful men's sexual embodiment practice. And so 
as a fundamental baseline for semen retention, I like to call it integrative semen retention. Like I said earlier, it kind of it rests on the baseline of the idea that men have a certain ideal ejaculation frequency that's useful mm-hmm. for their age. So I just use myself as an example. I like to ejaculate once every 10 to 14 days. I'm 38 years old. When I was younger, it used to be more frequently. But right now at that frequency, I feel like I can keep the benefits of not ejaculating. And I'll describe those here in a moment. I get those benefits while also getting the benefits of ejaculatory orgasms. And those benefits are massive too, but most people don't realize them because they just do that on autopilot, right? Mm. So to put this into an evolutionarily psychological or biological perspective, let's just take that approach for a moment and say, okay, if a person with a penis ejaculates, then evolutionarily speaking, they have succeeded. You know, they have won. They've, they've completed their mission as a member of the species. They have procreated. Okay. The body can rest now. The body can go to sleep, eat some food. You don't have to go out into the world and find a mate, right? So the body uses that time to recharge. And it's more than just the 20 minutes after the ejaculation where you can't get an erection. It actually lasts for a few days. And so to, to bring some actual science into this, because there's not a whole lot, right? But if you're going to donate your sperm, if a man is going to donate his sperm, he has to wait, at least in the United States, three days after his most recent ejaculation. So the overall quantity of his sperm can reach a high enough level that they'll give a viable sample. You know, So at least on a baseline biological level, there's a good benchmark to start. Now, I've surveyed hundreds and hundreds, perhaps thousands of guys, and, and the average is actually most guys are ejaculating every day, um, or at least every other yeah. day, it would seem. Yeah. So, so spacing that out a little bit can do a lot. And what I've found over the years of experimenting with this is that if I do ejaculate more regularly, I can still go out into the world and do manual labor. I can like, I can chop things down. I can carry heavy shit. I can move stuff around. Like I can do that, but I will be missing a certain level of ingenuity or creativity or inventiveness or spark or intellectual like clarity and prowess that, that wouldn't let me have the same sort of impactful conversations or or inventive ideas that I would need to have in order to operate at a certain higher level of achievement, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's subtle, right? And you really have to tune into it to feel it. But if you start to practice this more and more, you'll start to notice this. And this is why I think these practices have been exploding over the past bunch of years on the internet. It's not just this sort of dogmatic idea. Like if you actually slow down and start to feel the impact, you'll notice it actually is doing something to your psychology, you know, and to your body and to your physiology. And I'm not a person who says you should ejaculate once every 30 days or 100 days. I think that's extreme. Because on the flip side, when you have an ejaculatory orgasm, if you actually go into the full release of that experience and you take time, like 10, 15, 20 minutes afterwards to just rest and totally allow your system to downregulate, there's a certain kind of revitalization that can happen from that and a certain kind of energy that will come into your system that's different from just the retaining. It's like washing the slate clean, you know, starting mm-hmm. fresh. It's really, really beautiful. And you won't experience that if you're ejaculating like every day. 
you yeah. know, but if you, if you yeah. wait a little while and then do it and then really go into the depth of that experience, it's, it's pretty magical. Yeah. Pretty magical. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. I, um, I feel like there's a little bit more science around it now, but yeah, it is very, it's, it's a tricky sell to some people, but I yeah. know that some of the leading biohackers in the world, like Dave Asprey, you know, has a whole section in his book, Game Changers, um, which is literally a book about the kind of top things he's discovered through all of his sort of research and trialing and everything that will optimize your health and, and longevity and like, yeah. Semen retention is one of them and he's, you know, figured out his kind of ideal. I think he's in his fifties and his ideal is like every two to three weeks or something like that. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, like there are some, some fucking smart people that are really across this and there's a fair bit more, uh, evidence, especially a lot of anecdotal evidence nowadays. And, um, it just yeah. makes sense, right? I mean, it's also, yeah. I don't know, not to, um, not to, uh, deprive yourself of of something pleasurable but it is like you know if you have junk food every day it doesn't taste as rewarding and you might totally. not get that sugar rush which is it's not the best example <laughs> because yeah but anyway it's like if you're allowing yourself to ejaculate every single day that's quite depleting and it just becomes quite uh you know more commonplace and not as much of a like rush not as much of a special thing that that um you know and it also I, I feel like it also makes you just come faster in the bedroom. Like if you're masturbating really, you know, unintentionally and you're just kind of having a wank really regularly mm -hmm. to, you know, clean the pipes out or kind of get that release so that you can go to sleep or whatever. Um, yeah, it really detracts from the potency and, and uh, rejuvenating qualities that can be, you know, can benefit you if you have a more, uh, intentional practice and find a bit of balance. Totally. Um, but yeah. And yeah. And even with the, the, you said the word depleting there, and I've been questioning the use of that word. Like I've said that word in probably 30 of my videos that are out there and podcasts and all this stuff too. <laughs> and, and now I'm like wondering about the semantics of it and saying more like, instead of ejaculating every day depletes you, ejaculating every day keeps you in a state that is not a state of peak performance. Like you can still function in society, but you will just not be in a state of peak performance mm -hmm. on a biological, mental, physiological level. In my gotcha. experience. Yeah. That's nice. You That's know. a nice distinction. Yeah. Depleting definitely got some connotations. Hey. And I feel like it's so dependent on just the person, the age, the amount of like energy they have and their diet and their health, you know, I, I imagine yeah. like it took you a little while to find out and do you, do you coach your clients through this process of like finding out the optimal kind of length in between ejaculating? Totally. Yeah, I do. I mean, and I have free YouTube videos out there about that too. If you just look oh. up how often should you ejaculate Taylor Johnson, <laughs> my name will pop up because yeah, it wouldn't really make sense for me to like coach people individually on that one. Cause there is sort of a formula that you can follow and might as well like, mm -hmm. get it out to the millions of people, totally, you know, totally. one other piece to add is that in, in addition to the own, like my own personal benefits of feeling better, feeling more alive, more clarity, all that kind of stuff. There's also a pretty massive shift sexually that can happen with your partner. If you practice this and most women, 
Well, most anybody who has sex with men, they're used to the sexual experience ending when the man has an ejaculation, right? Mm. And they're used to the ejaculation always happening. And most women have received programming from society and movies and all, you know, everywhere that their worth as a lover actually has something to do with whether or not or how quickly the man will ejaculate, you know? And so changing that, flipping the script on that a little bit and ending sex instead of with ejaculation, but instead of sitting in a position, maybe one of my favorite ways to end sex with my partner is we'll sit in what's called the yab-yam position. If you don't know what that is, basically I'm sitting upright. I'm still inside my partner and she's sitting on my lap and our chests are touching and our foreheads are touching and we breathe together. We do 10 or 20 deep breaths there and do some microcosmic orbit energy circulation practice. Or even if you don't know what that means, like you just take 10 or 20 deep breaths there. And that often is enough to just really let all the charge simmer and integrate and anchor into your body in a way that won't just be isolated in your genitals. Mm. Now, a lot of guys might hear that and think, well, that's going to be a recipe for blue balls. <laughs> You're fucking crazy. And, and I'll say, no. Like, I haven't had blue balls in a long time. I regularly have sex without ejaculating. I also have sex with ejaculating. But I will say it's not quite as simple as ending and breathing together. Like During the sexual experience, I'm doing different practices to move my arousal, or you could call it sexual energy, from my genitals throughout the rest of my body to integrate it so it's not built up there. At the end of the sexual experience, I'm also doing Kegels, things that are called reverse Kegels. After sex, I'll massage my testicles and my pelvic floor too, just to make sure everything's you know moving and not getting stagnant. Sometimes I'll do jumping jacks immediately after sex too, if I don't ejaculate, just to make sure all the energy is moving and integrated. And if I do all that stuff, mm-hmm. then life is amazing. <laughs> and it's like getting the gold star back in Super Mario Brothers, you know? And then my part... <laughs> And then it's like, it's a game changing experience for the woman too, because then she gets to experience you staying consistent with her in that arousal Mm -hmm. instead of just dropping off. You know, that's a really interesting piece. If you want to think about it in terms of, uh, I'm not going to, well, do I say masculine and feminine? (laughs) No, I'll just say, I'll just say like some people really like to receive and experience consistent, uh, sustained, penetrative, sexual, loving consciousness. When a man ejaculates, that almost always diminishes a substantial amount, right? If you can end the sexual experience without ejaculating and retain that loving, sexually penetrative consciousness and connection with your partner, that's fucking magical and magnificent. Mm -hmm. You know, then you just both get to relish in that and then go about whatever you're going to do next with that energy sizzling between you. It's it's mm. pretty wild, pretty wild. Yeah, that's hot. Fuck yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that leads me into <laughs> a self-pleasure practice because obviously, you know, the way that we engage with ourselves when we're solo has a really big impact on partnered sex and if we're talking about conscious ejaculation and becoming more uh, able to, you know, consciously – ejaculate or decide not to ejaculate, self-pleasuring is kind of where we need to start practicing how to, you know, have mastery over our body parts, right? And our and our sort of arousal. So yeah. shall we chat a bit about how you can enhance your sexual experiences with others via having a self-pleasure practice? Why not? 
Let's do it. <laughs> I, I think it is one of the most important things that, that a man could focus on, that anyone could focus on, actually, if you're wanting to have a better sex life. Yeah. For sure. Excuse this quick interruption. I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab, and the more people who get to hear it, the more people I can help with it. Reviews and ratings actually do make a big difference to this little independent podcaster, um, and it's really easy to just quickly show your support by taking that simple act of either leaving five stars for the show on Spotify or, even better, writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're a real overachiever, you can do them both. That would be mad. If you're writing a review, though, just be sure to use G-rated words, because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't make it through the gates. Lame. Anyway, I would personally recommend doing that right now while you remember just to get on top of it and let me know you're with me on this journey. Thanks, gang. Enjoy the rest of the epi. So I'll speak about people with penises, because that's who I am. That's what I know. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that the way you masturbate is a training ground for how you have sex with other people. And if you, if I regularly masturbate and then ejaculate within two to three minutes, five minutes of masturbating, and if that's what I always do, how is my body going to have any reference point for what it's like to be aroused and sustain that arousal and sustain that level of stimulation for 20 minutes and be in a full-on lovemaking experience? It's not getting that practice. So then when you go to have sex, your body is going to want to ejaculate quickly in that time frame. Or you're going to lose your erection. You know? So yeah. one of the main things I try to get all guys to do is to change how they masturbate and start a self-pleasure practice of masturbating for at least 20 minutes at a time before ejaculating. Like that way, your system really has the opportunity to relax into the pleasure of the experience. Mm-hmm. And you can be there in a sustained way. And it moves out of the category of just getting off into mm-hmm. embodied pleasure. Because mm-hmm. I also ask guys to breathe really deeply. And I also ask guys to make sounds and actually treat it like a lovemaking experience. You're just mm-hmm. solo lovemaking. And it's, it's a real game changer when it comes to how you will have sex with another person. Like if any guy does that, for a month, three times a week, and then goes and has sex with somebody again, you will you will notice a massive difference. Like you'll mm. experience mm. more pleasure, you'll be more in control of yourself, you'll have better, stronger erections. Like it's it's mm. yeah. It's like the power up. It's the sexual power up that's simple, but it's not easy. Like yeah, it's, 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 it's simple in concept, but to actually lay there and move around and self-pleasure for 20 minutes. Like that's yeah. a really tall ask, especially in today's society when we have things like you know Instagram and and all this mm-hmm. shit on our phone constantly blowing up, and our attention spans mm-hmm. are so short. So not only is it the actual sexual practice, but it's also the mental practice of a sort of meditation of sorts. Totally. You know? So doing some kind of meditative practice in addition to that will only benefit your sex life and your self-pleasure practices even more because it's all Mm. linked in there related. A lot of guys, Mm. when they start trying to do the self-pleasure, they get two minutes in, five minutes in, and they start thinking about everything else and they start worrying about this thing or that thing, fantasizing, and Mm. they've never realized that like, wow, the brain is so active. You can't sustain 
mm-hmm. a, a simple experience of pleasure for longer than five minutes, you know, mm-hmm. that's really useful info. If you can't do that, that's a problem, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, so it's it's worth training. Yeah, yeah. It's so, like I was going to say, it's not just about training the body physically to kind of, you know, dwell in a place of pleasure and arousal for longer before coming. It's also like a full rejig of your attitudes and your sexual narrative around because I think so many and and women do this too and I'm often you know educating people on this and coaching clients to approach self-pleasuring differently and I kind of differentiate between like masturbation which is just kind of like jerking it or you know having a a wank and Mm -hmm. self-pleasuring which is more a mindfulness practice it's moving meditation it's a sexual meditation and you you know people approach masturbation very uh it's very kind of transactional and goal oriented it's like all right i'm going to do this thing for this amount of time and i'm going to get this result and i'm going to get a release and that will help me you know blow off some steam um be able to go to sleep you know i won't feel horny anymore i'll just be kind of like satiated and then i can flop on the couch like it's very (laughs) goal driven yeah and it's like it's like you know everything else that we're we're trying to do as efficiently and effectively and kind of wham bam thank you ma'am as possible and so of course that's meaning that we're you know rocking up in the bedroom just with these these kind of sexual blueprints so solidified and these neural pathways to pleasure so cemented because we only ever reach pleasure ourselves in this one way every time and it's very you know, quick and and about orgasm or release, you know, and it's not even about right. self-love or sexual energy or pleasure or embodiment. It's literally just I want to get this result out of my body um, and I'm going to do this thing to get that and then that's that. And um, so I'm, yeah, often coaching clients on this and it's tricky because, like, we are very, like, we want that quick fix we want the instant gratification and i find like women you know get really bored really quickly when like a lot of people come to me because they want to stop relying on a vibrator or they want to not be dependent on purely clitoral you know uh stimulation or stimulated orgasms and so when we're kind of like helping them experience more pleasure from inside the vagina they're kind of like oh my god like 20 minutes that feels like ages i'm there for like three minutes i'm i'm already bored and (laughs) it doesn't even feel that good and i'm in my head and thinking about a million things um and i'm like yeah yeah totally like it's fucking it's a practice and if you do have Uh a meditation practice or a yoga practice or you you understand and embrace the concept of mindfulness and just drawing your attention and your focus back that's going to be a massive asset and you can use that in the bedroom too and i feel like it's if anything potentially harder to get women on board with this even though their bodies need it Mm. so badly they need that extra time and stuff for internal pleasure because they don't always have the immediate um, kind of response from their body of like, oh, this feels really good, keep going with that. Whereas I feel like mm. when men touch their penises and if, especially if they have an erection, like it generally feels good. They generally know their way around their dick and what feels good and how to get mm. things going. And, of course, you can experience, uh, you can practice different ways of interacting with your cock and self-pleasuring you know, in more varied ways, which is helpful. But, you know, it's 
you get a bit more of a reward from your body. So sure, they might get bored and just like get impatient and want to just go for gold and come. But um, it's, it's I feel like really tricky with my female clients who are trying to experience internal pleasure who have only ever gotten any kind of result, you know, quote unquote, from their clitoris, yeah. you know, to actually stick with it when they're exploring internally because it might be not just like, you know, five or 10 minutes but it could be several sessions of like 20 minutes before they even wake up those areas inside the pelvic bowl and create the neural pathways to pleasure and it's like there's not a lot of motivation for them to do it when they're not getting that feedback from their body of like yes this feels nice keep going so anyway that was a massive rant but um yeah i totally get where you're coming from (laughs) yeah well two things i want to say on that and the first is i i hear that and i totally believe and know you know know that to be true from what i've heard as well and also i will say from the male perspective my first experience diving into conscious self pleasure like it took me many many weeks before i was actually able to experience pleasure and even an erection mm. in that process and that's mm. super common for guys so right. you know in my i have run a 10 week course to help guys figure out how to do a lot of this kind of stuff and i mm. say always up front it's probable that of you at least will not be able to get an erection with this Mm -hmm. methodology of self-pleasure for the first two to three weeks. That's normal. Like Mm -hmm. that's 100% normal because you're used to so much more stimulation or fantasy or something else going on besides just diving into the pleasure. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So it takes a while to really retrain and and Mm -hmm. reprogram the whole system, but it's totally possible and it's worth it. Mm. I've watched hundreds of guys go through the process. I've experienced it myself, so I know it works on the other side. Mm. (laughs) But in the process myself, like, yeah, I thought, wow, I can't get an erection. I have broken my penis. I have Mm. broken my sexual response (laughs) system. I've watched so much porn. I'm fucked for life. Like, damn. (laughs) You know? And and I will say now, on the flip side, it's not like I always have long extended like sexual candlelit sensual lovemaking experiences like my partner mm-hmm. and i we had a quickie this past weekend and i chose to ejaculate because it had been a while and it was amazing and it was beautiful and that kind of sexual experience still exists for us as well mm-hmm. and it's equally as beautiful mm-hmm. because there's the differentiation and the options uh, amazing i think something that people need to know more about or like accept is like you know Penis as being hard and staying hard is not essential for like a great lovemaking experience and they're not like meant to. Like that would be weird if you just were able to like maintain a rock hard boner for like, you know, hours on end. Like they come and they go and it's a fucking, you know, a fluid body part. There's so much pressure on on the performance though, um, mm-hmm. which obviously, God, completely chucks men into their heads and hinders things further but I love that you brought up I I guess I'd let I sometimes because I don't have a penis like fall into like thinking oh they're just like just that little bit more like simple and reliable than maybe uh you know a pussy is but actually like I think that's a pretty outdated kind of trope around like the difference between like you know male and female sexuality and of course like there's you know, there's going to be like this uh, period if you have been used to masturbating exclusively to porn, to fantasy, 
um, you know, masturbating very hard and fast with like a tight grip and lots of friction. If you're used to doing that to get, you know, a certain level of pleasure and to ejaculate and then, you know, trying to strip that back and go into like a more kind of like conscious self-pleasure practice, which might be a bit softer or slower and doesn't have the intense sort of sexual arousing stimuli. Yeah. Like that is, that's so true that it just won't feel the same and you might not be able to get as much pleasure or get it or keep an erection. And yeah. So thanks for pointing that out. Cause it's not just as simple as like, Oh, men touch their dicks and it feels good. So like good for them. Um, <laughs> but I wonder like, yeah. Do you recommend people um, – and let's let's kind of use this as a segue into chatting about porn before we wrap up. Do you mm. recommend uh, people kind of cut it out cold turkey when they're trying to develop a conscious self-pleasure practice or are they able to use it as like a tool every now and then? You know, is it better to just detox straight off the bat and just have that period of a few weeks of being like – my dick's broken or like do you recommend easing out of you know using those uh aids to arousal yeah you know different people have different perspectives on that <clears throat> i think it's i think there's something useful to just cold turkey stopping and seeing what actually happens to the body and seeing mm. what happens to the mind and if it is indeed this like massive shift where all of a sudden it's hard to feel arousal like mm. that's useful information you know mm. better to sit with that and spend some time with that and let your body acclimate and resensitize to the beauty of the world that's around you you know mm. so that's that's my perspective some people will say okay maybe use it once a week twice a week but that gets really slippery too it's a very mm. slippery slope and then you've got to talk about what is actually porn what is porn? Like, is it, is it going to Pornhub and looking at porn videos? Or is it also all the women on, um, on TikTok or Instagram or whatever who are dancing in bikinis up close that are trying to lure you into their OnlyFans, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't say that with a point, like finger pointing, like you are bad for doing that. But what I'm saying is like a man needs to be aware that that's what's happening there. Like yeah. most women who are doing that aren't doing that just because they're wanting to like give the world a nice view of their like underside, right? They, they're trying to make money off of it too. So the, in the making of the money, that's taking a certain amount of life or energy or resource from another person where you could instead like give that to yourself, mm. you know, mm. that's opening up a whole other debate mm. perhaps, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but, but it's really useful. I mean, the world is so fucking sexualized. Like I, earlier today I was on Facebook and I got caught by watching an advertisement for one of those absurd video games. It's just like one of those like dragon shooter things or whatever. Immediately after that video game ad was done, like another ad came up on Facebook and it was like immediately of women's asses in like the smallest underwear you could possibly imagine zooming in really fast, close, like highly sexualized imagery then to, that went to this other sort it was like a clothing thing, like a clothing ad. But the point being like that is very actually activating and triggering for a lot of men and it will make many men, it will cross their threshold of their ability to say no. And that will actually catalyze a lot of men to go masturbate to porn or porn-like imagery on TikTok or Instagram or something mm -hmm. like that. And that kind of stimuli is everywhere. It's pervasive yeah. on the internet. Mm -hmm. So like in my course, I ask guys to stop watching porn completely. And then I ask them to be really honest with themselves 
and stop watching anything that's porn-like. And anything that's porn-like, it's kind of a self-referential point. Like what sort of imagery gets you off or gets you aroused and activated in that way? Like that's porn. For the sake of that exercise period, like that's what that is. You know? Yeah. Yep. Totally. And how do you, how do you kind of see porn affecting relationships? Like I've, I've actually got for anyone that wants to really get stuck into to this sort of topic because obviously we don't have time to focus on it too much in this episode. I have a double yeah. episode on porn right. with a woman called Catherine Lyle who is like incredibly gung-ho but very knowledgeable and, um, you know, pretty across it and very opinionated. It, it would be quite a confronting episode to listen to, I think, for a lot of people. Um, mm. But, yeah, because we don't, why, we don't pull any punches. Hey? I said because why? What does she, what does she say that's confronting? Well, you know, that like 90% of men are addicted to porn and if you watch porn more than, oh, I don't know, it was something like once or twice a month, then that classifies an, as an addiction. And I don't mm. super like agree with how like, you know, dogmatic some of her, her views are, but, you know, in terms of the research, like we fucking know porn is like, it's bad for us. <laughs> it's bad for a number of reasons. It impacts our sex lives and intimacy and all, all sorts of things. It rewires mm. your brain. And so, yeah, she goes into a lot of like what it's actually doing to the brain, what it's doing to young kids, you know, what it's yeah. doing to people's sex lives and relationships. Um, so there's two episodes. It's it's pretty, yeah, pretty full on stuff. But I'd love to hear your – and, you know, that was a couple of years ago now. So I'd love to hear your mm -hmm. perspective on how it impacts relationships <clears throat> and, and how you see it it kind of, yeah, like what's what kind of damage is being done? Why is it so important that, you know – the men doing your course really cut out their their porn use. Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep, you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh, if fashion isn't your passion, though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte, because I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. <laughs> you can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. Um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. Yeah. Well, I do want to preface it by saying that there are two situations where I think porn can be really beautiful experience. So I don't think it's all black and white. I have a number of, so I'm heterosexual. I have a lot of friends who are gay or bisexual or queer or, you know, pansexual, like lots mm -hmm. of different identities. And a lot of them in conversations that I've had said that watching porn actually helped them figure out who they really were. You know, it was yeah. this sort of like liberating experience for them, men, women, any gender, 
like looking up something different than what they've been programmed to see and notice, oh, I'm actually aroused by this other thing. Whoa, does that mean, whoa, interesting. Huh. Totally. Wow, I feel more connected to myself now. So I I have a lot of like appreciation and empathy and compassion for that yeah. experience of watching porn. Totally. Also, and I guess it's like that. Sorry to interrupt. It's like that yeah. anecdote of uh, analogy of like you know junk food, and I feel like all of these things aren't inherently bad. Like porn doesn't have yeah. to just be like blanket bad for everyone all the time. But the way we're using it and the way it's designed to be so addictive you know, is damaging. But, you know, as a sometimes food or a useful tool, I've heard that as well. Like people have really been allowed to explore their sexuality and discover things about themselves and it helps them feel more normal. And, you know, so that's great. But um, yeah, what was the second thing you were going to say? The second thing is, and I might be wrong about this, so feel free to ream me on Instagram or whatever (laughs) (laughs) if I'm wrong about this. But I'm pretty sure that that when couples watch porn together, like in the right context, it can actually be a bonding connective experience. Like if you're actually connected with your partner and you're both into it and you're both exploring together and there is that actual human connection in the moment, mm-hmm. then that can be a beautiful experience that doesn't have the same kind of brain impact as when, say, a man watches porn by himself. Like I do remember some research on that. There, like that, that right there alone is quite unhealthy, generally speaking, is when a man is isolated, watching porn, masturbating by himself, not talking about it, having zero connection with anybody else, but just going to the pixels on the screen. It's isolating, it impacts sex life negatively, et cetera, et cetera. So, but those are the two circumstances. Um, and maybe there are more, but those are the two that come to mind when it could be healthy and positive. And I've experienced the latter with my partner where we've watched something together and we thought, whoa, that looks kind of fun. Let's try that. You know, mm. then we'll pause the video and connect, but we're not mm. getting lost in our own, in our own, like whacking off, you know, getting yeah. off to the porn. Yeah. Like we're using it as an avenue for connection between mm. us. Yeah. You I know? think if you, I think it's just important to have a really beautiful foundation of great sex, great connection, intimacy, vulnerability, communication, just all of the things in place before maybe introducing the shared porn experience because otherwise right. like I definitely have you know had clients say like oh w- my partner and I rely on porn when we have sex we automatically put it on and then we're both kind of in our own sort of fantasies and we're not really making eye contact with one another or you know like yeah. that's not not a vibe but if it's definitely very not. consciously and intentionally used and you already have your like beautiful foundation of kind of love making in place then cool go go hard kids <laughs> for sure. yeah um yeah <laughs> for sure yeah and I think you asked me before I said those two things. Was the question why? What was? Do you remember the question? Yeah, like what? Why? Why do you feel so strongly about uh, trying to help people get off porn? Like, how do you see it affecting relationships and and with, with partners and with with themselves? Yeah. <sighs> so, I let's see how to say this. I'm not necessarily an evangelist in the sense of like, I'm not necessarily trying to go out to the world and preach that everyone needs to stop watching porn right now. But what I'm trying to do is be a helpful resource for guys who feel stuck in their relationship Mm -hmm. or their own sex life or whatever it is that they're struggling with sexually. Mm -hmm. More times than not, 
90 plus percent of the time, some of those problems have to do with the porn that they've watched. And maybe it's their history of watching porn, or maybe it's that they're still watching porn, but it's so problematic and so pervasive that it shows up in almost every man's life that I work with, you know, in one way or another, premature ejaculation, Mm -hmm. erectile dysfunction, um, sexual anxiety, like objectification of women, problematically hypersexual thoughts constantly, like all this stuff is just like hammered into us from porn. And it's what's Mm -hmm. called a super stimulus. You know, I'm sure you talked about that on the other podcast, but it's Mm -hmm. so incredibly stimulating that it just takes over the nervous system. And it's just, it's unfair. It's not natural. We didn't, you know, we didn't evolve to be stimulated by porn and it just over, it hijacks our nervous system, you know? Mm, So it's like, you wouldn't expect somebody to, ah, what's a good analogy? Like go to a yoga retreat or a meditation retreat or become skilled at that if they're regularly doing cocaine four times a week. Like they're not going to be able to achieve the same sort of things, right? I like to say to people like co- porn is like cocaine for your penis and for your sexual response mm. system. <laughs> sure. Maybe do it once a month, you know? Like experience the drug of it, like know that it is a drug and know that it will impact your system. And mm-hmm. also there's all these risks associated with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's addictive. Yeah. It's been shown to be as addictive as as that drug. It's crazy. Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, just before we wrap up and I get some last sort of tips and takeaways from you to kind of tie a bow yeah. on this. Do you have a TMI story for me? TMI story. So tell me, give me <laughs> some context for that. Mm, something that would usually be considered too much information for a regular kind of dinner table conversation, perhaps, or, you know, topics that people don't usually chat about as openly. Maybe it's about sex or periods or poo or. Um, you know, uh, what's just sprung to mind, a friend of mine, Cam Fraser, who's been on the podcast, talked about how mm-hmm. he snapped his banjo string and there was a lot of blood and, you know, it doesn't have to be as gruesome as that. But just mm-hmm. a little story that comes to mind that might feel inspiring or educational or perhaps relatable to people listening that people yeah. don't normally <clears throat> admit to or talk about. <laughs> Yeah, well, if if this video was being published, you would see that I would I was smiling while you were describing that because I was thinking like, what what is common dinner table conversation for me? And I recognize like my frame of reference for what is too much information is vastly different <laughs> from probably most oh, everybody totally. else that's out there. Even at the dinner table with my family, like I will horrify my parents sometimes still by the shit that I'll say, and it just comes out of me like it's normal now, like. My partner is a sex educator. I'm friends with a lot of other sex educators, and we just yeah. talk openly about all this stuff all the time. I feel uh, you. But one, th- <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that's that's uh, that I I wouldn't necessarily bring up in a lot of contexts. Like I wouldn't just volunteer this mm-hmm. information. Say if I was like meeting somebody else's grandparents or something. Yeah, like, I wouldn't say, "Hey, by the way, on my desk there's a prostate toy." You know, and I'd hold it up, <laughs> like which is true. Like I'm holding a prostate toy in my hand right now. And I would say that, by the way, men, if you want to know the cheat code to full body orgasms, like use a prostate toy. It's amazing. Nice. <laughs> and, and 
get a blowjob while that's happening or just self-pleasure or have penetrative sex while that's happening. But, you know, there are engineers and people who like, like scientists and people who really understand anatomy and pleasure who've taken the time to build high end devices that are specifically designed <laughs> to amplify your sexual pleasure. Like this, like there's, this is the Ferrari of, of, sex toys for men that I have here in my hand right now. I'm not going to name what it is, but like that exists. Like, why would you not do that? Like if there are professionals who are devoting their lives to help you experience more pleasure, like why would you just leave that on the table? You know? And I get there's fear, there's stigma around anal play, anal pleasure, that sort of thing. But that's just a bummer. It's as if like you were to go through your whole life and, and the societal stigma said, Oh, don't, don't have ice cream. Ice cream is bad. Like ice cream is shameful. Ice cream is disgusting. Ice cream is going to change your identity forever. Like ice cream is just like that's that that will ruin your life and you'll go to hell. Ice cream will make you gay. (laughs) Yeah, and then you just skip out on that your entire life, and you don't know how good it is to eat ice cream. Like, I don't know. That's that's kind of how I feel about anal pleasure and penetration. Like you're literally wired with the same nerve endings that go to the tip of your penis or the clitoris to experience sexual pleasure in your anus. Mm. And it's phenomenally pleasurable when done well, you know? So yeah, (laughs) that's what I would say. I love that. And it's kind of made me think of what, because I'm about to ask you like, what would be like like a, a good starting point or like a top tip for, you know, men to be the best lovers they can be. And we've obviously gone into detail and covered lots of different things, but I'm going to ask you for a little takeaway. And mine, if I was to, I mean, there's so much, it's a huge topic and it's a huge question, but if I was going to say like one thing that could really shift the needle for a a man, um, you know, that would make him a better lover, it's cop something in the ass, like get a finger in there. Like, I mean, obviously some men are already (laughs) all over that, but if you haven't been penetrated men, get penetrated because I swear to fucking God, not only can that be really pleasurable for you, but it gives you an experience of being the receptive party in a sexual context. It gives you an experience of being penetrated, of having the vulnerability of someone penetrating you for once. Like there's something about that that will teach you to be a better lover and to be more intentional and conscious and mindful about approaching penetration Mm. of others Mm. i just think like every guy should at least just get a finger up his ass once (laughs) yeah (laughs) even if it's yourself and exactly i understand if you're cringing right now but i want to share like a statistic i forget the exact statistic but i surveyed i was like four or five hundred guys last year it was maybe because i i developed a course called unlocking the root that's specifically a course all about anal for men Mm. um not for men to have sex with other men, but just for men, because all the courses that I found that were out there didn't really resonate with me as a guy. So in that course, like I go through people and describe stuff just as, just as if there were two of us guys sitting down at a table talking about it. And yeah. part of that research was to interview like 500 people or 400, whatever, and ask them a series of questions. And I asked them all kinds of stuff because I just really wanted to understand experiences. Two questions when I was going through all this statistical analysis I, I was cross comparing and it kind of blew my mind because I asked guys in one question, what is your annual income? And then these are all heterosexual men. I was able to, to segment that in the data. And then I asked them, have you ever been pegged by a woman? 
pegging <laughs> is the act of receiving penetrative sex via a strap-on dildo from a yeah. heterosexual woman. The income that men made who had been pegged from their female partners was substantially higher. Like it was a significant difference. If you, if you're familiar with statistics, it was very significantly statistically different. They made more money than men who had never been pegged by their female partners, heterosexual men. I was like, what? Holy God. <laughs> that is an amazing discovery. Wow. Whoa. Mind, mind blown. You got to yeah. get that and, published. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, <laughs> it, yeah, it was not, it wouldn't, that whole questionnaire, it wouldn't pass the rigors of a peer reviewed yeah. study. And I did talk about it online. And of course, people try to pick it apart every way that you could possibly imagine. I'm like, yeah. yeah, well, and also, this is hundreds of guys and this is what their responses were. Perhaps wow. it's because they're more sexually open and that's why yeah. they completed the survey to begin with. Mm -hmm. But whatever, like, it's still a fascinating data point. You know? Oh my god! Absolutely, it, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And it makes sense to me. It makes sense I'm, to me. Like I got a lot of guys would email me about it, and after I published that, and they said, you know, Taylor, that does make a lot of sense because if you're open-minded enough to have that kind of experience, then that means you're probably open-minded to consider a lot of other different career or business possibilities that you might mm. not otherwise consider because you're just in this narrow mindset of what's possible. You know, mm -hmm. other guys said things like, oh, well, it's because if you open that part of your body, then you're really creating more spaciousness in your root of existence. And a lot of esoteric traditions see that part of your body as the source of your vitality, of your survival, yeah. of your ability to thrive in the world. And if you're blocked mm -hmm. there or tight there, which most people are, you're not going to be able to succeed in all categories nearly as much. Mm -hmm. So it's a fun little tangent I didn't expect to go down oh. on this podcast. But here we are. Me neither, but I love it. That's so interesting. Oh my God. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Thanks for sharing. Um, totally. all right then. So other than anal play, what's, what's your hot take on like <laughs> one of the best, best things that people can do to be the best lover that they can be? Yeah. Anal play. Stop watching porn <laughs> for six months, three months, whatever two months, more than a month, stop watching porn, mm -hmm. start a self-pleasure practice where you just explore what feels good to you. Mm. And then take a course or read a book or like mm. get some input from outside of you, from society. Excuse me. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's your podcast. Maybe it's my podcast. Maybe it's somebody else's podcast. But but actually dive into and research and study sex a little bit. Mm. Like mm -hmm. put some effort into improving your sex life. You know, there's so, there's so, there's an infinite amount of ways you could do it beyond stopping watching porn and starting a self pleasure practice that ultimately it's, it needs to be a sort of choose your own adventure, you know? Mm. So just mm. start looking at what's out there and treat that as a practice. You know, if you want yeah. to expand your sex life, just start doing some research. Like it's out there. Yeah. The information and the practices are out there. You know? Totally, totally. It just it's it's committing. It's committing to actually investing either time, money, energy, you know, focus on developing this skill and learning and becoming a master of your body. And it's yeah, there's a lot of I think reluctance around needing to practice something that we're kind of brainwashed into thinking should be natural and we should just automatically be fucking studs in the sack. Um, but yeah. there is no shame 
in going out and seeking information, hiring a coach, doing a course, reading a book, you know, just like get nerdy about this and you will get better at sex. Like just straight up, even just learning and changing your beliefs around things will mean that you're going to be better at sex. Technique is fucking the tiniest part of it. Um, Yeah. yeah, Amazing. Awesome. Well, I think we, we've given people a fair bit to chew on. Um, I would highly encourage people to go to Taylor's Instagram. Um, I feel like you had another thing to say. What do you go? For? Well, I'll, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll add it when you finish that. I guess I'll just say another great resource is to really understand the art of how to penetrate well. And like, if you enjoyed listening to some of my stories, my partner and I were next week publishing a podcast about penetration specifically where we share some of the things we do in our own sex life because people really like to hear personal stories so that would be a great episode i think for anybody who penetrates another person to listen to so amazing i'll say like there's a great resource yeah yeah easy go hit that up guys i'll put the links to taylor's work in the show notes and he's also got a couple of little free resources seven day semen retention challenge and ejaculation control guides and i'll put those in the labia lounge facebook group for you but um yeah thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your personal stories and yeah sitting and having a chat with me on the lounge today totally thank you so much for having me and asking such great questions and thank you listener for being here with us too i really appreciate your time (laughs) and thanks for being somebody who cares about this stuff Mm, right on and that's it darling hearts Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.